Well, good morning. It is a joy to be with you this morning. Any, any alive campers out there? Are you, are you well? Are you recovered? Uh, I don't know how bad it was here, but uh, for those who don't know what I'm talking about, Alive was a, a region-wide youth camp that we just had uh, two weeks ago or so. And everybody seemed healthy and well there, but we, we got back. And I think two-thirds of the kids who went from Metro were, were just down and out with some flu-like something for uh, over a week. Uh, so, it, it, so I'm sorry if that, you were in that boat <laughs> with them, but it absolutely rocked uh, the folks at Metro. Uh, Al, thanks for a very warm uh, welcome, very kind welcome. What, what Alive really makes me think of most in being here this morning is, um, I, I don't know that I know much about leadership, but I, I do enjoy friendship. And that is what I have been so blessed with, with Al uh, and, and Desi as well. Uh, it really feels like we've lived in Orlando longer than we literally have. And it's, it's times like going to Cuba last year without, by the way, I feel like a contraband guy driving down here. I've got like a bag of drugs that he's taking for Montalito down there. I'm like thinking, what? I've never seen so many drugs in my life. I don't know how you're getting them in the country, but that's your business. Um, when you, you get, Something tells me you, you'll find a way. Uh, to do it, but uh, it's, it's friendship, it's partnership, and, and that's, what, that's what Alive was, that's what trips to Cuba are, and, and that's what times like this are, and so we're looking forward as a family, I'm grateful my family can be here, uh, we are, we're going to hang out uh, for the week, at least that's our tentative plan, uh, going to get a chance to get time with Jose Prado and others this week, uh, and, then, and then end up with Brian Brookins in the church in Riverside and Fort Lauderdale next week, and, and I love that about our relationship together, but uh, I just want to speak a moment before we do go to Revelation. If you are one of those people with the cisterns, I mean, we have, we've been on a ride as a family. Uh, we're trying to move from one house to another in Orlando, and I'm actually thinking of ceasing to be a pastor because I want to become an advocate for people trying to buy homes because it is insane, uh, and, and our, our, we're going to write a book, and it's going to be how many things could possibly go wrong during the transaction of real estate? It'll never, the book will never get written because what we're learning is, oh, wow, just when we thought we exhausted it, there's another uh, thing. So it has been an absolutely crazy, wild ride, and yet God is uh, showing himself faithful uh, through it. The, the person we're buying from, his, his wife passed away, Spanish couple, his wife passed away from lupus, I believe, uh, five months ago, and... Uh, Long story short, his name wasn't on the title, and it just always goes on and on and on, but uh, he's been a blessing to work with, uh, and, and so we've got a house full of boxes back in Orlando that I think we were actually kind of glad to just leave and get away and come here, so it is a joy to be with you this weekend, and, and uh, finally, before turning to Revelation as well, uh, I just want to thank you. It's not only Al getting on a plane to Cuba, and this is mostly to you, Desi. It's to the church, but it's to you most of all. Having been on the interim board of Sovereign Grace for uh, about uh, nine months, I've got some appreciation for what's involved, uh, the, the time, the energy, the praying, just, just the, it's a lot that goes into that. And uh, to, to know that uh, our region is still being represented through Al, uh, it was a joy to do that. Uh, I, maybe I shouldn't say this, this may get me in trouble, but I was the first to commend Al uh, that doesn't make you happy. You can let me know later. But the reason I commended Al is because I knew Al's going to be someone who doesn't just go with the flow, doesn't just agree with everything, but he's going to humbly raise his voice. He's going to, he's going to seek to uh, bring things in a, in a gentle yet clear manner. And I'm so grateful for that. But all that means time and travel and energy. And, and so I want to thank you as a church, but most of all you, Desi, for just saying, I've got faith for you to go do that and, uh, and all that that means. So thank you, Desi. Thank you for that. Yes. Amen. Uh, I think probably Melissa thanks you more than I thank you. Uh, so we say thank you uh, for that. Well, Al has alluded to Revelation chapter 2. I, I don't know if you've uh, hung out on Revelation much or heard messages from Revelation, but... Uh, I, I do pray and believe God's going to meet us through this this morning as um, we 
look at a, a call, a command from Christ to a church that uh, had something, misplaced it, and needs to get it back. And let me say at the outset, I do not presume that that is the case at Palm Vista at all. Rather, because Jesus repeatedly in these addresses to these seven churches repeatedly says, those who have ears to hear, the churches that have ears to hear, let them hear. And so that, that's my conviction in all of you this morning, that, Lord, if you do have something to say to us from this, we, we do. We want to have ears to hear. But uh, I don't know if you can rattle off your elementary school teachers. You remember them all by name? I don't know if you do. Uh, for some reason, I, I do. Kindergarten was Miss Conway. First grade was Mrs. Kemper. Second grade was Mrs. Groff. Third grade was Mrs. Wentz. Fourth grade was Mr. Brady. Fifth grade was Mrs. Bonner. And sixth grade was Miss Weaver. So I started with singles on both ends of the elementary experience. But more than any of them, and that's just to distract you so that while I'm preaching, you're trying to remember your elementary school teachers, <clears throat> covers a multitude of exegetical errors in a sermon. Uh, Mrs. Groff, she's the one. Second grade teacher, Mrs. Groff, she is the one I remember more than any other because I had her as my second grade teacher. My younger brother had him, her as his second grade teacher twice. Yeah, he had her two times, me just one time. Uh, she knew my parents. She also knew my grandmother. She, she was knit in a bit with our family. Uh, Mrs. Groff had this way about her of, of being very, very encouraging, she was, she was grandmotherly type at that point, so I caught her near the end of her teaching career. Very, very encouraging, very warm, very affectionate, but, uh, but she also didn't pull any punches. If, if there were things she needed to say that were perhaps less than encouraging, uh, she'd say those too, but she meant them even as an encouragement. So my mom, of all the report cards she decided to save, she saved one of them with uh, Mrs. Groff's parent-teacher conference notes on it. And, and in the midst of her encouragement, this is, this is what she said. Aaron needs to focus on paying close attention and not distracting those around him. So th thank you so much, Mrs. Groff. You, you, do you remember parent-teacher conferences? I mean, those were... I mean, we literally would be, we'd go with my parents and we'd be out there in the hall sitting in a chair waiting and th this is what I was waiting for. Aaron needs to focus on paying close attention and not distracting those around him. Now, she was an encourager. She had much to say before she said that. But she needed to say that too. And in truth, that's life, isn't it? We, we need to hear not only that which encourages us and makes us feel good, we also need to hear that which at least initially, we may not enjoy, but it's really intended long-term for our good. And I think that's exactly what we have in Revelation 2, 1 through 7 this morning. Uh, encouraging words, but, but some words that perhaps if the Ephesians were out in the hall, sitting in the chair, waiting for Jesus to get done talking to the pastor about what's going on in the church, some words they needed to hear that were going to be for their long-term Good. So would you read with me Ephesians 2, or Revelation 2, 1 through 7, about the church in Ephesus. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. So, so, so far, this, this is all encouragement. Jesus, very tenderly, warmly, oh, I see, I see it all. I see it, Ephesians. I see it, and I commend you for it. Verse 4, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. For if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also Hate. The Nicolaitans were simply a group completely distorting the message of Christ. 
He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the one who conquers, I'll grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let's pray together. Lord, this morning, we are here somewhere between our conversion for those of us who are in Christ. We're between that day and the day we will eat of the tree of life in the paradise of God. And along the way, among our days, you meet us. By your Spirit, you come and you speak to us if we have ears to hear. And you encourage us. And you do it so graciously and tenderly. But Lord, you also come and you reveal to us things you know we need to hear. So that... As we go on toward that day where we'll eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God, we would bear fruit. We would have much to lay at your feet. Lord, you speak to us that until that day comes, we would run hard. And we would not assume that because we've once had something, it means we can't lose it. And so give us ears to hear, Lord, this morning. Here at Palm Vista, show us what is commendable. But Lord, if necessary, on an individual level, show us perhaps what we may have forgotten. That we would turn back to that which we once had. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think what we find in Revelation 2, 1 through 7 is that there are many things that are commendable. Many things that are commendable. One thing, one thing is vital. Love is vital. And so Revelation 2, 1 through 7 is a call to the church in Ephesus to resolve to love. There's a wonderful commentary on Revelation. It's called Triumph of the Lamb. And the author, Dennis Johnson, trying to just summarize Revelation in succinct fashion. This quote may seem a little long, but it's in succinct fashion. He's just trying to get at the heart of what what is Revelation about? Particularly these early chapters with these letters to the churches from Jesus. And this this is what he says. He says, like everyone else, Christians spend much of every day with eyes and minds focused on the surface of things. Details about deadlines and delays and dollars and dress and food and shelter, going and coming, work, recreation, politics, and more. Attending to everyday issues, it's necessary and it's right, but our hearts long to see the big picture, the meaning that lies behind the details, and the revelation shown to John unveils the deep pattern beneath the surface. So how appropriate that before all else, John sees the one who makes sense of history on a grand scale in our experience. John helps us to see Jesus, to meet the blazing eyes of heart-searching holiness, to wake up at the trumpet blast of his voice. And do you find the need from that, if not from time to time every day, that because of the, the cares of life for like us this week, are we signing today? Do we have a contract today? What time's the carpet guy calling? What color paint? You know, you get lost in just the stuff of life, and it's all important, right? I mean, goodness, what, what dish are you going to bring next week? You know, who's bringing the pig? You know, you just get all the stuff of life. You know, it's just stuff. And it's easy in the midst of that to just, wait a minute, what am I doing again? What is this all for? Why did I even walk through those doors this morning? So Jesus writes letters to the churches. He goes on. We need to see Jesus and respond to his jealous demand for exclusive and passionate loyalty. We may need shocked insensible by the impact of his splendor so that we can then hear his words of compassionate comfort. Every congregation, wherever it is on the post of the battlefront, needs to fix its eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Therefore, Revelation begins with a vision of the glory of one like a son of man who died but lives forever. And he walks among the churches holding them in his hand. Think of that imagery. Not just the church in Ephesus or Smyrna or Pergamum and on and on through the churches in Revelation. Palm Vista. Jesus Christ walks among you. 
holding you in his hand. Back in Orlando this morning, Metro Life Church, Jesus walks among the church and holds the church in his hand. And as he does that, walks among, holds, he's got things to say. Things to encourage and strengthen. Things also to get the church back on track. So a little bit about Ephesus. Uh, Al alluded to it. This is some 30 years after this church had already received other letters. In fact, I don't think any other church in the New Testament gets more playtime than Ephesus. Uh, You have the letter to the Ephesians, written by Paul. You go into Acts, particularly the later chapters, Acts 20. It's all about what's going on in the church in Ephesus. You have 1 and 2 Timothy, letters written by Paul to Timothy, a man he sent to the church in Ephesus. So it's got a lot of coverage. And then right here, Revelation 2, the very first church that Jesus speaks to. This is a church with much to commend. And that's what we see right out of the gate. And don't you love that about the heart of the Savior? When he looks into your life and mine, when he looks into a church corporately, where does he begin? With things to encourage. Which I think that in itself would be a whole message. Because I think we often think the first thing Jesus sees in us is that which is condemnable. Is he faithful to get to that? Yes, he is. That's just not a starting point. That's not where he starts with the Ephesians. He wants to commend them. He's holding them in his hand. And he commends them. He first commends them for their toil. Now, again, we don't have time this morning, but if you reviewed Acts 20, the letter to the Ephesians, 1 and 2 Timothy, we'd read things that were being said to the church in Ephesus, like discipline yourselves unto godliness. We'd read about striving and toiling and the call they had to do that. Well, guess what? 30 years later, Jesus is walking among them. And what's he saying? You're doing it. The things you were called to, you're doing it. I see your toil. Your patient endurance is another one that he references here. Patient endurance. You know, Ephesus was a darkened city with all manner of corruption and sin, probably a little like Miami. And it would have been no easy task to build a community of believers there, but they were a community of believers, and they had a lamppost. And the light of that lamppost was shining because they were patiently enduring. They were in the world of Ephesus, but not of the world of Ephesus. And Jesus commends them for their toil, for their patience endurance. He also commends them for their doctrinal discernment. Verse 2, you've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. And then again, verse 6, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. They were a doctrinally discerning church. The Ephesians, if you will, they were models of theological vigilance. And Think about that. I think we can often fall prey to thinking that there is actually something new under the sun. Well, there isn't. It's not really, really cool and popular in our day to be theologically precise, is it? The notion is just love Jesus and, and that's it. Well, the only way to really rightly love Jesus is through theological precision. Well, it wasn't any different in their day. There's not a new day. We're not, we're not special. We're not living under something new. They had the same challenges going on in Ephesus. People who wanted to love Jesus, but they also wanted to hang out with Artemis. You know, it it is no different. Just different names, different packaging. Well, they they saw through that. They They were discerning doctrinally. Again, from the book Triumph of the Lamb, Dennis Johnson, he said, The Ephesians refused to tolerate counterfeit apostles and other purveyors of deceit. How different from the church in Corinth, who not only didn't refuse them, they seemed to actually welcome them. The church's intolerance was as politically incorrect in the midst of ancient pluralism as it would be today. But it reflected Jesus' intolerance of poisonous lies and liars who prey on his sheep. So what's he getting at? Think of it this way. A modern-day pastor who, if he gets a call from a same-sex couple and they ask him to marry them, And he says, no, and that's politically incorrect. Well, they had the same stuff going on then. There's really nothing new under the sun. It's just a little faster in our day with technology. That's all. I think we can feel that way at times, can't we? We can feel like 
like our generation is somehow experiencing things that no other generation has ever experienced. We really aren't experiencing anything new. They modeled, the Ephesians modeled, what's it look like to stand fast on the word of God? Even when you're in a culture that completely, completely subjects scripture to the air of the age. They had it. So here you are, church in Ephesus. So they are, they're out in the hallway, Mrs. Groff. They're out there. This is looking pretty good so far. All right, transition. A lot of good things were taking place. Jesus' encouragement to them is not perfunctory. They were excelling in these things. I think that's important to remember too because we can feel that way at times, right? We talk about this on Tuesday mornings. First thing we do, one of the first things we do at Metro Life Church on Tuesday mornings when we come together as a staff is we review the Sunday meeting. And the guy who leads worship, he's there and he's listening to the encouragement. But so often internally what he's thinking is, but what do you got for me? I mean, what could I have done better? How could I improve? And then the guy who preached, same thing. You know, someone's trying to encourage him and they're thinking, okay, okay, but let's get to the point here. Let's get to the heart of the matter. Where did I blow it in the sermon? What did I mispronounce? That's usually my case. Uh, what, 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 what didn't I make clear? And on and on and on. See, I, I think we do that at times because sometimes that's how we think. Like, that's the meat. No. What Jesus said up front is sincere. He is commending the church for these things. It's not just to get to the punchline. It's not to soften the blow. Because we all, we all know experiences like that, right? You remember those coaches growing up? You, 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 knew, you knew the part that they really meant from the part they didn't. Jesus meant all of this. It's not perfunctory. They were excelling in these things, and it's his joy to tell them. There was much to commend in Ephesus. I wonder, among the many things, what, what would Jesus say to Palm Vista this morning? I, I'm sure he would commend Palm Vista for the faith to see Al go to Cuba tomorrow commend Palm Vista for sending Jose in the church plant a few miles south. The list would be long, I have no doubt. For all the ways, though, that Jesus encouraged the church in Ephesus, there was one thing lacking. In in fact, it's more serious than that. There's one thing they actually abandoned. And so, while Ephesus was a church with much to commend, secondly, Ephesus was a church in need of a rebuke. They were a church in need of a rebuke. Look at verse 4. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at the first. In other words, when you sum it all up, I think it is safe to say the one thing that mattered the most is the one thing they abandoned. Love. Now, why do I say that mattered the most? I don't mean to artificially create this idea that love matters more than doctrine. No, because we've got to understand they're married together. What I mean is, when Jesus was asked this question, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment of them all? What did he say? Love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, strength, and... He didn't even separate them. And it's not like one and two. And love your neighbor as yourself. Because Jesus knew, and what he wants his disciples to understand is, you can't say you love God, but not love your neighbor. They're not, you can't separate them. We can't say we love God. I mean, how many times you heard this phrase, um, Jesus, I love it, you Christians. What does that mean? You can't say you love Jesus, but it's you Christians. We don't even have names. It's just you Christians. So abominable are we. They've abandoned the greatest commandment. And it could not be more serious. Look at it again. Look at it in the text. I have this against you. Now, that's the ESV version. If you're reading a different one, you may have a different word. But the idea there is it, it's not like this. Oh, Ephesus, as I walk among you and hold your hand, I have these things to encourage you with, encourage you with your patient endurance, your toil, your doctrinal discernment. 
you know what, though? Hanging out with you for a week, I've observed a few things. Yeah, work on your love a little bit, all right? Your love cups are a little sort of running half empty. That's not what he's saying. It's not a suggestion. It's not a, it's not a, just, you know, you, you, you ever, you hear these things, you go to the dentist, right? You know, or if, if you're me, you do, you know, let, let, I mean, they, they never quite say, I have this against you. That'd be a very odd dentist. <laughs> but you know what they're getting at, right? When they say things like, you know, you, you might want to floss a little more. You, you know, you ever hear that ever? <laughs> like you, you might. Uh, they, 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 they're trying so hard not to insult you, you know, with how they, I mean, it's just shy of like, do, do you brush? Do you, do you do that? You know, it's like, like yeah, twice a day. Like, you know, you go in circles and back here and, you know, sing happy birthday three times. I mean, they say all kinds of things. Are, what they're trying to get at is you're doing a lousy job. It's what they're trying to get at. They're just trying to do it very, very gently. They send you home with nine new toothbrushes and floss and fluoride and everything. Like, just use all this, you know, and you got to feel for them. You, you got to feel for them. It's an impossible situation they're in. This isn't like that. Jesus isn't pulling punches with the church in Ephesus. I've sincerely commended you for these things. I have this against you. Now think of the contrast. Jesus is charging. That, that phrase, against you, that's an indication of divine displeasure. Jesus has this against them. Think of the contrast. I was thinking about this. Paul, writing to the Thessalonians, he says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need of anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that is indeed what you are doing. Now, what I love about that is, if you will, the psychology of Paul. I don't have any need to write you about this, so I'm going to write you about this. This is so important that even though you have it right now and therefore you don't need anyone to write you, I'm going to write you so that you don't lose this. What's the one thing he says, I don't need to write you, but I'm going to remind you anyway? Love. Brotherly love. See, the Ephesians did need someone to write them. Jesus. They weren't doing this. It was a rebuke, and they needed to receive it as such. And as you know, all that God has preserved in his word, he's preserved not just as a history lesson, but Lord, do you have anything for me? What what would you say to our church corporately? What would you say to me as an individual in my church? Because he's writing to a church. Think about this. You know, there, there are many good things, many commendable things, many important things. We've been talking a lot about this at Metro. It's, it has been one wild ride since we moved to Orlando. My goodness. I could never have scripted out the past 18 months. Never could have imagined Danny Jones' health would so deteriorate that, that he just could not continue to lead the church. And it's a joy to serve him now in the church in that way. But it just it was just never imagined. And in the midst of that, we're, we're looking at all kinds of things. And we've done some things. We, we, we made a new web page. I think it looks pretty good compared to the old one. But a web page? Is a web page vital? Somebody out there might tell you it is. But No. We've renamed our youth ministry from Deluge to Alive. We, wanted to, we, 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 we spent months as elders talking about how do, we, how do we get action in our descriptions, like things that speak of life. And so we, instead of words that, that, that don't have action, we, we changed them up. So, so Deluge became Alive. Um, I don't even remember what the singles ministry was. They're Thrive. We're not very creative, so we just decided to have everything rhyme. It's just easier that way. We want to get to these words that are, that are from Scripture, but, but suggest action. I, I think that's good, but at the end of the day, deluge or alive, it really doesn't matter. We're uh, a month away from, if you've been to Metro, you've been in the lobby, and if you've been blessed to be in our lobby, you've not been blessed with the carpet that's in the lobby. Um, and if you have been blessed by the carpet in the lobby, we'd like to sell it to you. Uh, it's this just nasty floral pattern. It's just got to go. So we are refurbing the lobby, but we're refurbing the lobby because we're realizing for a guest to come in here, it's very confusing. Where do I take my children? What about this? What about that? 
And we've got a bookstore that's largely untapped, so we're totally changing it up. We think it's going to help. We think it's going to do good things. We think it's going to encourage the church to linger because unlike you with fixed seats, we've got chairs that get torn up every Sunday for basketball, and it kind of sends people right out the doors. We're like, everybody's leaving. When we don't tear the chairs down, people stay. So what can we do to kind of work this out? So anyway, we're doing it. I think it's going to help, but at the end of the day, does a freshened up lobby matter? No. One thing matters. One thing only matters in the church. Love. It doesn't matter that you meet in Miami Lakes Middle School. It doesn't matter that the color of the walls and the 70s yellow tile in the restrooms. It doesn't matter. And if that does matter, something's wrong. Now, that doesn't mean there's not a lot of good reasons to pray about your own physical location. There's a lot of good things that happen with your own physical location. There's another side of that too, but that's also another message. That stuff doesn't matter. Love matters. Now, what is Jesus referring to when he says love? You've lost the love. You've abandoned the love you had the first. Some scholars think that he's exclusively, exclusively excuse me, referring to their relationship with him. Others would say, no, it's, it's, it's their relationship with one another. I think the safe answer is it's both. Why? Because again, from scripture, we are taught, we can't say we love God, but not love our neighbor. In this context, neighbor being one another, the church. We, we can't, it, it can't have it both ways. So I don't think it's a helpful distinction to say, well, he's probably referring to their love for him. No, the other person says, no, he's referring to their love for one another. It's both. We ought not separate love for God and love for one another because the world has no idea we love God except to see it expressed through our love for one another. That's how the world knows we belong to him. I mean, this is what Jesus said in Matthew 22. He said, he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. Like it meaning what? Like it meaning it's also a great commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So primarily then, Jesus is rebuking the church in Ephesus for an abandonment of a radical and devoted love to one another, which, which surely, whether they perceived it or not, affected their love and devotion to Jesus himself. So I, I think it is practical. You talk to people. Um, there, there, there's a common theme, and this, this does not mean it applies everywhere, but you start to interact with someone. You know, they, you used to see them at church regularly. They were faithful, and the point is not a law about church attendance here, but they were faithful. They were regular, and uh, somewhere along the line, they've gotten off track. This came up, that came up. Before they know it, as they're reviewing a year, they're realizing We've been in church like once, maybe twice a month on average. It's fading. And so you start to draw them out more. And you talk about, well, well, how's it going yet? You getting a chance to have people over in your home? Uh, we haven't really been doing that either. Uh, what, what's, um, what, what are, how are your devotions going? What are you reading right now? Yeah, it's just been some time since. Why? Because these things are all related. I've yet to meet a person who tells me they're thriving with their hospitality. They're thriving in their devotions. They're thriving with this. They're thriving with that. But I'm not loving people. It doesn't work like that. Because the second command is like it. It goes with it. They're together. Now, let's make a really important clarification. I don't even need to know all of you to know you're humble enough to say, I could love more right? We could all love more, right? We could probably all reach out more. We could probably all practice a little more hospitality. We could probably all do a little bit more, right? That's not what he's talking about, though. I don't, I don't think any of us, the point of this isn't to live under the tyranny of false guilt or perfectionism. But again, Jesus isn't talking about growing a little bit more, like Mrs. Groff wasn't saying, be a little less distracting. <laughs> no, she said no distracting. He's talking about those in Ephesus who had abandoned, abandoned love. They don't just need to grow. They, they, they need a radical change. They need 
to get it back because they were on the road to fulfilling the one prophecy of Christ that no church or no Christian should ever want to fulfill, which is found in Matthew 24, 12, where he said, the love of many will grow cold. In Ephesus, the love of many had grown cold. How did it happen? Well, we're not, we're not told specifically. We, we can surmise, we can imagine some things. The point is, though, as one man said, there is nothing so remote from Christ's example as a hard and uncharitable disposition. A hard and uncharitable disposition, the opposite of love. Perhaps their doctrinal decision, precision, excuse me, perhaps their intolerance for certain kinds of unholy people. Those could be good things in one way, but perhaps those that actually turned their hearts toward their fellow believers. Perhaps their hatred of heretical teaching had engendered an on-the-lookout attitude of one another. Here's what I think can happen if we're not careful in the church. Think about your maturation in Christ, okay? We were at a Christmas party. And uh, inevitably, the topic of favorite Christmas movie came up. And uh, a few individuals named a movie that used to be one of my favorite Christmas movies. And then Melissa and I, we had a couple-year break, hiatus from watching that particular movie. And then one Christmas season, we pulled it out, we put it in again. You ever have this happen to you, like... And it's the worst, you know where I'm going, it's the worst if you've actually recommended a movie like this and you've forgotten. You know, you haven't seen it in five years, but something's been happening over five years. You've been growing. You've been changing. And the point isn't legalism, but you've just come to a different place where you think, you know, I don't think of that movie the way I used to think of that movie. It's not about a law, but just, it's just not edifying my soul. I, I don't think this is something good for my family. Well, this was one of those movies, and about four people not only rattled off the movie, but we were supposed, it was supposed to be ugly sweater Christmas party. Um, one of the guys there came dressed up like one of the characters from that movie, and he was so excited. I love that movie. I watch it so many times every Christmas. To my shame, initially, internally, I had one of those, oh, moments. You ever have one of those? Yeah. Did you become a Christian yesterday? I mean, we don't say these things out loud, but (laughs) we think them, don't we? I wonder, I don't know, but I wonder in Ephesus if the, oh, moments started to happen. See, in the church, God's people are growing. God's people are changing as His Spirit walks them. As 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, from one degree of glory to another, we are being changed. Sometimes some of us forget that. And we're looking back and down on someone. Really? You watched that movie? Let's not forget, we watched it for 17 years. Right? Seriously. You fill in the blank with the illustrations, but these go on all the time. I don't know that that's exactly how it happened, but it's not hard to imagine that that, that, that doctrinal precision, that which is good, but in a human heart, can drift into intolerance for people who haven't arrived at the same conviction. We had a family church back in PA. I was so grievous. The individual, they didn't mean it to come out the way it did, but we often don't. The damage is done nevertheless. Family came in and... Uh, the assumption was that this family homeschooled them. And the, so the starting question was, well, which curriculum are you using? <laughs> they were like, what? And in the conversation, they got to, they, they go to Indian Valley Middle School, the church down the street, and they had an, oh, moment. That family didn't come back. Now, now the individual, they didn't mean that in that way, but... But what they revealed in that moment was a sense of superiority that we've chosen this for our child's education. In fact, it was such a strong issue in our community there. I mean, we a couple times talked, and I think for me, because of my sinfulness, it would have been out of spite. Like, you know what? That's it. My kids are going to public school. 
You know, just for no other reason, I just want to level it. You know, just let's level it right now. You know, just be done with it. And my wife probably would have been, that's a great idea. Go ahead. <laughs> Send them. Right, mothers? <laughs> Who, a bunch of guys got in a room and thought this was a good idea, homeschooling. Like, why don't you all stay home for 15 years and tell us about it, all right? I'm with you, ladies. I'm with you. <clears throat> we do it, though, don't we? We get these superiority things. You know? That's an interesting movie they have on their bookshelf. We do it. Maybe they did it in Ephesus. Maybe they lost their motivation. Maybe they thought they arrived. You know, we, we've achieved that. I remember it was a great day. I was, I was a runner in high school, not a very fast one, so I was a distance runner. That's what they do with the guys who couldn't sprint. So I remember it, though. Two mile, the first time I broke 11 minutes, which is hilarious now. I'd be thrilled to break 20. I'm so excited, but I'll never forget my coach. Like, you got to keep working. You got to keep working. Like, like the, the point was, okay, you, you, you did this here, but that, that doesn't mean anything. Like, th- this is not an assumption now going forward. Just because on this day you did this doesn't mean you're just going to be able to repeat it. Like, okay, I'll stop running now, and anytime I want, I'll get out and I'll run a sub-11 two-mile. Anybody try that? <laughs> no, it doesn't work. Nothing in life works like that. We don't... We, we don't achieve it once, we don't love once, and then feel like we made it. No, we keep going. Maybe they lost their motivation. Maybe they thought they arrived. We don't know. We're not told. But what we do know, as Jude 21 says, and they did the opposite, where we're told in Jude 21 to keep ourselves in the love of God. That, that idea of keep, it's a present imperative. It's ongoing. It's keep. Keep doing this. Keep on. Keep on. Keep on. Don't stop. Somewhere they stopped, and Jesus confronts them for it. So they were a church with much to commend. They were a church in need of a rebuke, finally. And here's the good news with Jesus, friends. His rebuke is never the end. It's a means to an end. It's never the end. It is a means to an end. And that end is change and grace, a remedy. It's a church finally in need of a remedy. He says, verse 5, remember. Remember from where you have fallen. That's the first thing they're to do. They're to recollect the former days. I don't think he means a walk down nostalgia lane, but a remembering that leads them to action. What were those things that I was doing earlier in the church that were building up my love for one another. So maybe, maybe you can remember. Do you remember when you used to love those church gatherings? And maybe as you heard the, I don't even remember her name, the Jenny Day next Saturday. Geddes, thank you. Remember when they weren't called that, but it didn't matter what it was, you just loved to be there? I mean, the day, the day Jose the, and the group was planted out, I don't know how many of you had a chance to go down. Uh, to the luncheon afterwards, it was outstanding. Ah, oh, there was energy. There was a vibe. There was this, yes. You remember that? Have you fallen from that? Is next Saturday already kind of written? Eh, probably not. Maybe stop by. Maybe, you know, maybe five minutes, ten minutes. Swing by, make an appearance. Who are you appearing for? Do you remember? Ephesians need to remember. See, remembering it's an active decision to look back past present challenges and recall what, what was going on. I got to get back there. Need to get back there. They needed to remember the early days when they were building each other up in love. You remember, remember when you'd arrive early for church and linger late? I know in a lot of Latin American culture, the first part of that is usually not applicable, but imagine it is. (laughs) Pretend it once was. Pretend there was a time you arrived early. Think it into existence. It was true back then. The, the, The point isn't punctuality. The point is relationship. 
The point is catching up. That's why we're working on the lobby at Metro. I want that place buzzing. Not at 9.59. Far earlier. Just people coming together. Do you remember that? You remember when you would linger late? Like Sunday afternoon wasn't so packed with stuff. Because the church and being with the body was what packed Sunday afternoon. And, and it wasn't packed in the, in the, in the uh, kind of way. It was like, we've got the day to just be together. We're not trying to squeeze 19 things into Sunday afternoon. Again, a lot of good things, but they affect us. Again, the point of remembering isn't to wax nostalgic. It's to get stirred up. The Spirit of God would stir us to get us back. They need to remember so that then, secondly, they could repent, actually get back. Because if all we do is remember, but don't do anything with what we're remembering, what good is that? So they need to remember that they could repent, verse 5. Remember, therefore, and repent. So it's not just a suggestion or a good idea. Like Mrs. Groff said, he needs to be not distracting. We need to get back to this. They needed to accept Christ's evaluation and get back to where they'd been. And, and, and as if that weren't enough, if the word repent was enough, listen to what he says right after that in verse 5. If not, if not what? If you will not repent of this lack of love, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. What's he talking about? Again, think of that lampstand as like a, a light, the light of the gospel of Christ going out into the Ephesian city. And it's reaching people. It's touching lives. But if, if they're going to if they're going to stay in a place where they've abandoned their love, that light's going to have no effect. And it's not just going to get dimmer. It's going to get snuffed out entirely. And what will draw anyone? Because at the end of the day, that's what's going to draw people. Our love for Christ, for them. I mean, yeah, a really nice building is going to draw for a little while. I mean, we, we just are, I said we just moved. We we're trying to move out of a house into another Across the street from us, a massive church is uh, being built. Any of you who maybe came from Orlando, you'd know it. It's uh, not Calvary. It's the other assembly of God, Faith Assembly. It is gargantuan, $24 million project. And I'm telling you, it is going to draw. But it won't keep drawing. After the slide that gets you down into children's ministry wears off, after the novelty of that, I don't know if they have one of those, but, you know, whatever, whatever. That novelty will wear off. Eventually, it's going to have to be this. People. Goodness, we used to go to Covenant Fellowship Church. It, was, it had to be the ugliest building I've ever been in for a church meeting. It was horrible. No AC, these massive industrial fans blowing air uh, in the summer months. I don't know how we even heard whoever was talking say anything. Just didn't care. Uh, children's ministry, the first thing i do is setting up would be to erect the cardboard walls that divided this classroom from this classroom. It was utter chaos, but chaos that was abounding in love. It was great. I'm not saying I want to go back to that building per se, but what that building showed was it was never about a building. It wasn't about the nicest facility. It was about love. They need to repent so they can return. Remember, repent, and do the works you did at first. They've got to return to those works. Jesus points them back to their first works. Remember, it was in Ephesians that we read about the whole body coming together. When each part does its part, it's working properly. They were doing that at one time, and they need to get back there. They need to get back to that place where each part was doing its part so that. What's the point of that? That was never the end. The end of each part doing its part was not work. The end was love so that the body builds itself up in love. Love for Christ, love for one another. Getting back to praying, getting back to compassion, getting back to kindness, getting back to tenderness, getting back to thinking the best, getting back to overlooking offenses, getting back, getting back, getting back. Now, I... We live in a time, we live in a culture, and election years only highlight them more than other years. We live in a culture that just nurses offenses and grudges and various things. Ours is the task, 
fueled by the love of Christ, of not allowing that spirit here, not letting our love grow cold, our affections wane, but to remember and return to those things. Last week, I'll move to a close here. Just, just one small demonstration, actually it's a pretty significant demonstration, but individual in the church, we don't know who, somebody anonymous, during the offering, they put in a 20 $50 Walmart cards. $1,000 worth of Walmart cards. No explanation. No, no anything. They actually, they actually included the receipts. They talk about love. They had the forethought to think someone will use this and they'll come to the register and it won't work. And so they provided 20 copies of receipts so that every single gift card that goes out could have a receipt with it so there's no chance of it not working for them. You don't need to come next week with 20 $50 Walmart cards. But do come with love. Do come with love. Many things are vital, Palm Vista. Love is vital. Here's why it matters. Al, I don't know if you want the worship team to return your call. Fire of love would be rekindled. That lampstand would get brighter. The light of the gospel would draw people. But here's where it all ends. On that final day, no more from one degree of glory to another. The Ephesians would eat from the tree of life in the paradise of God, not because of their works, but they'd eat from that tree. And hopefully they're thinking things like this around that tree. You know, we didn't, we didn't get it perfectly then, but what we're enjoying in fullness now in the paradise of God, do you remember in our pilgrimage? We really were enjoying the first fruits of it then. That's what it's about, friends. Don't you want Palm Vista to be a place where that future day of eating from the tree of life in the paradise of God and all that that's going to mean, that the first fruits of that are happening now. And the way they happen is as this church builds itself up in love. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for the patience of these dear friends for a rambling sermon. Lord, it is not my task to do any application because that's your work. So, Holy Spirit, we pray you would, you would stir up first. First, put in the hearts of the members and visitors who are praying about this being their local church. Put in, put in our hearts first the things we see that we just thank you for. Because there's many things to give thanks for at Palm Vista. Lord, as well, on an individual level, speak to us. Is there anything that you had to say to the Ephesians that I need ears to hear this morning? So that Palm Vista will be built up in love and because we are living today and next Saturday in the park with a future day in view, the day where we won't eat in a park, but in the paradise of God. Give us ears to hear and hearts that yearn to live today in light of that day. And bless Palm Vista as they do. In Jesus' name, amen.